हेलो एंड वेलकम टू दिन पॉडकास्ट दिस इज सक्सेसफुल tonight's guest is someone very special she holds a double masters degree one in neurophysiology and the other one in microelectronics and nanotechnology then she decided it's quite boring probably and decided to go towards the investment banking investment banking side of things she worked at goldman sachs she had a teams at jp morgan and that is just 2018 in 2018 she decided maybe investment banking is not worth her time and she decided to build something new altogether and she is a founding partner at alliance block and today i'd like to welcome amber gadar who is with us to discuss some of these things that are plaguing the industry on a wider scale stuff such as how different is it to be a woman in tech what are some of the learnings that she has had from the scientific side of things to the fintech side of things and now towards the uh, cutting edge blockchain and cryptocurrency side of things so without further ado hello amber welcome to the hackathon podcast hello sir lovely uh, lovely to be with you so tell us about your background amber like what do your parents like think about you in your opinion uh, my parents are both doctors so it was normal for me to follow the path of my parents as very well we follow in the steps of our mothers and fathers and i've always been interested in science because it was something that was very common in in the house and at the time i was very interested in i was a big fan of science fiction let's put it this way mm. and when i was a kid i wanted i was so tired of learning by heart history and geography because we were supposed to learn everything by heart and so i wanted to create a, a sort of a chip that you could put in your brain to upload memories that would mm. have great and that's why i did uh, neuroscience neurophysiology so i have a master in neuroscience and neurophysiology and then another master in microelectronics and nanotechnologies and then i studied for a phd in uh, molecular medicine and so after my phd this is when i discovered that actually research is it is not for everyone it takes a lot of time you need a lot of patience and sometimes well your thesis is wrong so you need to restart everything from scratch and because i have lebanese blood lebanese people what well, i have lebanese people are known for business and so it was normal for me to decide to go to business school where i did a master in international business mm-hmm. and from there on so that was in 2009 2010 i finished that was right after the global financial crisis mm-hmm. and finance and banking were were Uh, in the news on a daily basis and it was some something that interested me quite a bit because i understood at that time that if if economy if economy is uh, is the heart of a society finance is its blood and i really wanted to be at the center of where things were were done so correct i started at goldman then i moved at the, to jp morgan where i stayed roughly 8 years and from there on in april maybe i should like rewind a little bit so when i was much younger i i was quite a big fan of peer to peer file sharing uh, networks and uh, mm-hmm. one of them, mm-hmm. i think i don't know if you recall gnutella 
Nutella, yes. Yeah, yeah. Here you go. Here you go. And so uh, someone in 2009 sent me the Bitcoin white paper. Look at this. Because we we used to discuss uh, between ourselves why file sharing was was not working. And basically, he told me, look at this. So Bitcoin is based on the gossip protocol that mm-hmm. is used in uh, Nutella. And I read this thing and I was like, okay, the amazing thing that they have done is actually creating incentivization. Because the main issue that we have in the file sharing peer-to-peer is that there was no, no incentivization, right? right. Downloader, uploaders, if you're an uploader, basically you, you, you leave your laptop at night at the time. Right. Right? <laughs> you leave your laptop open right. at night. And people would come and pick files from uh, from, yeah. from the hard drive, but no one was incentivized to do that. And yeah. I was like, oh my God, that is such a genius idea to add in incentivization. And mm-hmm. again, it makes sense because every work needs to be rewarded. And there was no reward for those that were uploader, uploaders in uh, the file sharing peer-to-peer uh, mm. system. So this is where was my first contact with Bitcoin, and that was 2009. So 2010, uh, I think I started investment banking, and I left it like completely in the back of my mind. I was too busy with what was going on in markets. And then Rashid, who was one of my very good friends, contacted me in uh, April 2018. And he was already with Matisse, and they wanted to start at the time it was an ICO platform with rating, where they were rating the different uh, pools. Because yes. remember the time of the ICO, you didn't know what- ICO bench, was. ICO rating. <laughs> Yes, but that was before that. That, that was before, before that. that. Right. And I remember I sat down with Rashid. I, at first, I wasn't convinced. I was like, what, what is this token? And I was looking at it. My first sentiment was like, this is a security. Mm. And I was like, security? It doesn't make sense. Are you? Is this regulated? Did you guys speak with lawyers? What's going on in there? And then we, we continue, continuously discussed. I, and I was still not convinced. And for me, I remember very well that I said, you, you know what? These are basically cash settled forwards on air. So <laughs> you need to explain these words to us later after you are done. Cash settled forwards. And but then I, I started digging into the technology and and I was like, OK, I really missed something here. I really missed something because this could be the next revolution in finance. Mm-hmm. And as, as I usually say, the third revolution was the internet and mobile communication revolution, which democratized the access to information and the access to data. And then the next revolution, in my view, is really blockchain, AI, and other emerging tech that are going to democratize the access to capital and ideally democratize capitalism itself by Mm -hmm. increasing the number of intermediaries and allowing people to generate wealth in a way that retail investors cannot invest in hedge funds. So yes, sorry, my my bell was ringing. Don't worry. It's okay. It's okay. If you hear dogs walking, it's just dogs on my street. It happens. (laughs) Right? So... This is the problem that the rest of us face when speaking to highly literate people such as yourself. Like you use words that you think are everybody knows. It happens mostly because your circles are smaller and more educated than the rest of us. So when you use a word like a cash settled forward on air or something like democratizing capitalism, what do you mean by that? Like break down these words for us. 
Yeah, so a forward is a derivative that represent the price of something or represents something. So you have forwards and futures. Futures are usually traded on exchange. They're listed. So it's a derivative that is listed. And forwards are usually traded OTC. So you can mm. have forwards on gold. You can have forwards right. on stock. You can have forwards on everything. And you have two ways of settling. You can settle either cash, so it's just the difference in price from the strike price to the exit price, mm -hmm. or you can settle, for example, in case of forwards on equities or futures on equity with mm -hmm. stock. So mm. the number of stock, you receive the number of stocks instead of receiving the uh, receiving the cash. So the, for me, when I was saying it's a cash settled forward on air, it's because especially at the initial boom of ICOs, there was no product. Right. right. That there was no product. So basically you were investing in an idea right. and you didn't even receive equity. They didn't even write a paper to tell you you have equity in the company. You mm. just, it was just a cash settled forward on an idea, right? Mm. Hence air, because ideas, we believe in reality, right? Something right. Can, an idea is not very tangible, right? Right. <laughs> what it came from. And with right. regards to democratizing capitalism, I think one of the big issues that we faced, especially since the global financial crisis, it was already existed, but especially since the global financial crisis, is that we had this huge disconnect in wealth between right. the bottom 50% of the population and the top 10% of the population. So if you look at the data, it tells you post-financial crisis, everyone lost a lot of their wealth. You could see the charts just going down, plunging down. Mm -hmm. But then you would see that the top 10% not only recovered its wealth from the level they had in 2018, uh, 2008, mm -hmm. but they multiplied it. Mm -hmm. Well, the bottom 50% today stay, stands, well, today, that was the uh, last time I checked that number, it was early 2020. Right. Uh, the, the wealth that they had was equivalent Inflation adjusted, equivalent to the wealth that they had in 1971. That's for the mm. So basically, our generation is poorer than the generations uh, that of our parents or our, or of our grandparents. And even more, you have a lot of data that tells you that the millennial generation is still 20% poorer than right. the generation. So right. this connect to what happened post-financial crisis. There was a lot of easing, fiscal easing, monetary easing. But who benefits the most from that? It is those that already have access to capital. Because mm -hmm. money, you need money, right? You cannot right. make money out of air, unfortunately. If you right. have money, you can multiply your money. And at the time when financial crisis hit, people lost their houses, people were in debt, etc. No one had like cash. And even those small investors that had cash didn't have the capacity to enter the market in the same way that a hedge fund would enter the market, or like an institution would enter the market. So for these type of institution, you have access to very interesting products like derivatives. Uh, mm. You as a retail investor at the time, you didn't really have access to these products. <laughs> Sorry, just give me a second. Mm -hmm. Sorry about that. So you, you couldn't have access to this product. And mm -hmm. what we have seen around 2000, like mid 2010s, is the emergence of fintech companies like Robinhood and other trading platform that gave access to the little people to be able to allow them to trade fractionalized share, not have mm. to, I don't know, a thousand dollar into one stock. Right. Uh, 
and gave them access to option and the rest. And this has allowed the creation, increase in the creation of wealth. Uh, and that extended with crypto uh, because mm-hmm. now crypto is so easy to access. Right. right. Most of the time, you don't really need KYC. AML. Exactly. MetaMask. You just—it's very easy to access. So there's two things. It's the ease of access, and then the second part is the collective intelligence that you have today. That is the the child, if you want, of the internet and mobile revolution. Right. Right. Because the internet, you can learn anything you want. You have Wall Street, Reddit groups that teaches you what a gamma squeeze is. Even at the time, like you go 10 years or 15 years back, someone right. in banking on the MA side wouldn't even have heard of this expression before. So technology has in a way started to democratize, democratize information, democratize knowledge. And now what we expect it to do is democratize capital. That is very interesting and sanitized. Let me like spice it up a bit. So you heard about the GameStop things that happened what happened with AMCs and whatnot. There is a very derogatory way by which these Reddit Wall Street bad guys are described as. People call them crayon eaters, like they eat crayons and stuff like that. I don't like subscribe to that. Yeah, view, but... I haven't heard that one. Crayon eaters, why crayon yeah. eaters? They eat crayons. They say that their IQ is the same as the room temperature like stuff like that, because they don't know what they are doing. They are just aping into things. Maybe one person knows about uh, Gamma Squeeze, but not the rest who just aped into it because everybody else was doing it. What I want to ask of you is this, is I guess what these Wall Street bad guys demonstrated what that was that these hedge funds are not untouchable. These hedge funds are not as anti-fragile as you would have wanted. A group of Redditors were able to take down what two of these hedge funds, Melvin Capital went down or like there was somebody else as well. So what does that tell you about stuff? Is it always going to be the power of a few against the power of the many and it would always be on this balance? Or will it or, or will there ever be something like an equitable distribution of wealth Communism, basically, in my opinion. But what do you think is the future? Big difference between uh, equal access to wealth and communism. Very, Hmm. very different. Please, please, like educate us. Yes. No, no. So communism takes into account that each individual is the same, Hmm. right? It takes into account that we are equal. We are the same individual, Hmm. which is something is fundamentally wrong. Because we're born equal, right? Yes. You know, some people are born good in math. Some people are are born good good painters. Some people are born short. Some people are born tall. We each have our own special specificities and our own characteristic that makes us individuals. So the most important thing is to take into account the individualism of each person, which communism didn't do at all, right? right? Now, the vision that we have for what I call participative capitalism is a form of capitalism where everyone is uh, rewarded for not only their work, but also for, in some way, their influence or their reputation or the knowledge that they bring Mm. and rewarded for their capital. Mm -hmm. So something that I really don't like currently about governance model in uh, in DeFi protocols is that the more tokens you have, the higher your voice is. Right. It's very dangerous because this right. is 
application of wild capitalism at its worst. Mm -hmm. The more tokens you have, the more influence and decision-making power you have. Mm -hmm. It shouldn't be like that. You can have very little token, but let's say you're a very knowledgeable person or you're a person that's been helping a lot in the protocol. You should have a voice that is more balanced, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So that's a very important point that a lot of people be thinking about that we're working on very hard at Alliance Block that we have also called calibrocracy, or basically mm-hmm. the weight of an actor in the ecosystem is based on these three elements of capital, of uh, knowledge, and of work. Mm-hmm. Gotcha, gotcha. That makes sense. So when we talk about economic incentives and when we talk about how to make things fair, what do you think is the way forward? You spoke about... Uh, calibro okay I'll make one would you yeah. just mind would you just mind just let me tell them that I'm busy because I okay. they're just like ringing so what do you think is a fair mechanism is a proof of work fair is proof of stake fair is a calibrocracy as you mentioned fair like how do we make things so for me well it's the model that i've worked on so for me calibrocracy is the fairest model because it allows for a weighted average that takes into account proof of an equivalent of proof of work, if you want, an equivalent of proof of stake, which is the capital, an equivalent of proof of authority, which is the knowledge and the contribution that you you, you put into, into the ecosystem. Mm-hmm. So that's how the model should, should be built. And it's very important because throughout history, money has been, it still is, right. but we have the chance now with automatic mechanism to change that, to be able to mm. quantify everything. Some people are scared about quantifying everything, but in my view, it is better to quantify everything than to let things run wildly the way they are. If you want to go take a a loan at a bank, right? Imagine you're an entrepreneur. You want to go take a loan at a bank. If your dad is rich, they will give you a loan because they know you have a backup. Right. They only look at capital. They don't look at what is your experience, how experienced are you? They don't look at how much, what is your value in the society other, other than money. And with a calibrocratic system, it will allow to take into account things other than, oh, is this person, uh, does this person has enough collateral to repay a loan? It's more of, does this person has a forward uh, that will allow him or allow her to repay a loan? Got it. That makes a lot of sense. How do you see these things traversing into the real world? Because the banks are always going to look for collateral. How does a calibrocratic system help out, like in the real world, in the same example, as you said, how banks? It it is already coming. So Mm -hmm. one of the things that really disappoints me, I would say, in the current uh, regulatory conversation, uh, especially when they're talking about taxation of crypto, I'm all for taxation. But if you're taxing crypto asset, it means they are an asset. And if they are an asset, it means you can use them at your bank as collateral for a loan, as collateral for a mortgage, which you can't nowadays. Mm. So in in the traditional system, you can't use your Bitcoins uh, to take cash to go buy a car or go buy a house. There are DeFi protocols that are working on that very well, but... In a way, I think there's a lot of education that needs to be put forward between the DeFi or the DeFi actors 
and then governments and regulators. I don't like the fact that they believe that we are some rogues, rogue hackers running on the internet. And our goal is just like to make money. Okay, our goal is to make money, but everyone's goal is to make money. It doesn't Mm. make us rogue players. So this is why education is very important. And this is something that I'm working personally on by creating what we call the crypto industry, the crypto industry regulatory authority, the CRINRA. Mm -hmm. And our goal is to set up standards for our industry because there's, we should always protect our industry, but we should be very conscious about what is wrong in the industry. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of things that that are wrong that can be done better in terms of market integrity and in terms of investor protection. But we need to protect our industry. And if we stay decentralized, we won't be able to protect the industry. We need, funnily enough, to centralize our effort and face the regulators and face governments and educate regulator and educate governments and be at the forefront of this very important regulatory conversation that is going mm-hmm. on uh, around the world at the moment. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And about that, are you worried about the trickle-down effects of the information that happens? Like you have been in a crypto for a long time. In 2017, somebody reminded the world about the Howey test and every cryptocurrency project had a page on their white paper saying how they passed the Howey test. They weren't economists. They already had the answer and then they were going back towards the thing like this is why my token is a utility or whatnot. That is a very good example of what is called a trickle down information, what the Howey test was and what it ended up being in the minds of these people was very different. Now, when a person of your stature speaks about MyFed or Amar or all of these Frank Dodd or Dodd Frank acts, you understand it. You understand where all of this is is coming from. But what happens when it has left your chambers, when it is in the hands of somebody like me? Like, how do I make sure that I am getting it right. The easiest thing would be to speak to a, a law firm, right? Usually law firms would give you a would give you a report and will decide or in the report they will say, okay, we have tested this and it looks like it is a utility token based on the definition of uh, the definition of English law or Dutch law, etc. Mm. But what you highlighted is a very important question because I see three solutions, right? Mm -hmm. Either we abide by the current regulations, Mm -hmm. which is going to be, in my view, very harmful for the the industry. Sorry about that. Very harmful for, for the industry. Or we need to find a middle ground where we abide by the spirit of the law rather than the letter of the law. Mm-hmm. Or we need to change paradigm completely. Mm. Okay? First one, it will be really bad. The second one is what we're working on because we know what the laws are. We know these laws are here to protect the investor and to make sure that markets are, uh, to, to protect market integrity. The third one is the best one because when we change paradigm, what is a security? Each mm. country definition for a security. Maybe we should, it's not maybe, we should sit down with regulators and government and re-explain, try to find a new definition to what securities are, especially in the crypto space, mm-hmm. right? 
some definition that was created, so the Howey test that was created in 1933, I think, post the Great Depression in the US right. because of their very particular case of in, yes. the, in Florida. Does it really apply to what we have today? Not really. Let's sit down. Let's brainstorm. Let's find new definition. Again, the goal is to protect the investors. Mm -hmm. And it's true, investors are not very well protected in crypto. We can definitely do 1,000 times better, okay? Mm -hmm. But let's not let them force us to abide by rules that are outdated for an industry that is as, as, as fast and as dynamic as the crypto industry and as any mm -hmm. open source any open source industry because you do realize the greatness about open source is that it allows multiple brains from everywhere in the world right. to collaborate on the project but the danger also of open source is because it's open it allows players or actors that don't necessarily understand what's going on to start interacting with these systems without really understanding the risks right and this is where we should come in and make sure that there's enough education uh, and that there's enough transparency ironically enough huh? blockchain is fully transparent yeah Fully transparent, but blockchain businesses, most of them, a lot of businesses are not very right. transparent. So we should really work on this transparency and on this uh, educational aspect of things. Got it. Now, there is this section of this uh, Bitcoin Twitter where the general belief is that we gave the world 2,000 or 3,000 years. You had your fiat, you had your paper money, and you messed it up. You said, use a bank, we used a bank. In 2008, we learned a very bad lesson, although we learn it every 20 years, if you look at history, but it has been like, no more. I am signing out. I don't care about your regulation. I don't care what you call it, a security. It is going to be a transaction between me and another consulting, consenting adult. Like what I choose for its value to be, it's globalistic in a way, but it's very individualistic at the same time. So how, what do you tell these people? Like, how do you get them on the regulation side of things? How, you, how do you get them to open up to regulation? Because everybody, like at least every smart person who I speak to says that regulation is going to be an eventuality for Bitcoin to grow. At $20,000, the... SEC was not looking at it at 50,000 it is and it is looking at it with a very very scrutin scrutinizing eye and for Bitcoin to survive you need regulation but then it's most vocal proponents are like we don't need regulation how do you speak to these people so unfortunately we do not exist in a vacuum I would have loved to build a completely parallel financial system but unfortunately, we can't. Reason number one is a lot of people compare blockchain with the internet, right? Right. Uh, blockchain revolution, the internet revolution. You see these right. showing uh, adoption and the rest. But one thing that they completely miss is that the internet and data revolution occurred in a space that had no regulatory constraints at all. We started having data regulation in 2018 GDPR right. in Europe uh, was was voted in. So that's roughly 20 years. Mm -hmm. So internet 
And data had 20 years of free run with no regulation hampering their development and hampering the creativity, right? Mm -hmm. Finance is not like that. Finance is heavily regulated. Credit operations in the U.S. are three times more regulated than the healthcare industry, than healthcare. Mm -hmm. Can we imagine that? So we do not act in a void. That's number one. So if we want to be part of the world, we unfortunately either need to comply by current regulations, which, as I said, I'm not very warm about that, or we need to sit down with governments and regulators and rethink propose a change of paradigm, a new definition of what financial instruments are, of what transparency is, and the rest and the rest, keeping in mind always we need to protect investors and always protect market market integrity. Now, the other problem is, first, central banks are a modern... Please break down for us, like there will be a few who have no idea what a central bank is. I have, so, unfortunately, but yes, please go ahead. Okay. Before having a central banks, mm-hmm. uh, so I will give you an example. In Europe, you had royalties and right. you had nobles. Each noble had his own state, his own quantum of yeah. whatever. Yeah, fiefdom, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and nobles used to print their own currency, Okay. And then there started to be a little bit more like some economic problems and the rest, and they wanted to facilitate right? They wanted to, to, they started, they were decentralized. They needed to centralize to basically make sure that the value is correct, that the gold, the amount of gold in a gold coin is the same, that the amount of gold in the coin that is coming from another fiefdom. So we actually moved from decentralization of money, because it was decentralized, to centralization of money, where money was managed by a central bank. And the first two it was the risk bank in Sweden and then the uh, the Bank of England in the UK. And I think that was around the 18th century. So it's mm-hmm. not a, a completely an old concept. It's a new concept. And now what we see is we need to go back to decentralize. There's too much power has been centralized too much. Right. right? And we've seen that the little people are the one that get hit in the end. Right. We are the one who pays most taxes. Middle class, the middle class, upper middle class, they pay the highest proportion of the of, of taxes, whether it's in the US, whether it's, it's in the UK. But what are the benefits that they get? They don't get much benefits. They have no mm. control of their life. They they don't have access to, to capital as someone who is in the top 10%, for example. Mm-hmm. So sometimes we got to a stage where we are smart enough mm-hmm. to connect the internet my brain is not only my brain my brain is your brain and the brain of someone else that is uh, i don't know in latin america and we're talking and we're thinking and we're building together so you have all of this collective intelligence that makes us smarter as human being and Mm -hmm. makes us more aware of what's going on in our system and now we have ideas about how the system should be run that is Mm -hmm. not necessarily the ideas of what maybe the top one percent have okay but we are still in a fiat world If I cannot use my Bitcoins, and I would never use my Bitcoin to go buy pizza, but if I cannot use my Bitcoin in any shop to go buy, this is not a currency. Mm -hmm. I'm always, when you think about Bitcoin, you don't think about, uh, you you think in dollars. What is the value of Bitcoin in dollars? Do you think of what is the value of dollar in Bitcoin? So we are inherently linked to the fiat system. Mm -hmm. And 
if we want to extract that money, that wealth that we're making on the blockchain, we need to exchange it into into fiat currencies because these Mm -hmm. are the currencies that we're using in the real world. So unfortunately, there is no escape from Mm -hmm. it, right? We need to work with regulators and governments, and we need to be very smart in order to protect the industry because you don't want to end up in a situation where you are being slammed by regulation left mm-hmm. and right, as we are. We have seen what's going on in the, in, in the U.S. right now. Mm-hmm. And again, this is why I insist on being at the forefront of the conversation. Mm-hmm. Got it. So you speak about the one about the one uh, percent and I had this doubt. I read somewhere that if you make $32,000 a year, globally, you are a part of the one percent. Is that true? I would think it is true. And you highlighted a very important point that I did not, uh, that I didn't think about. There is actually two uses of finance in crypto, right? So you have the use in developed countries mm-hmm. where in developed countries, and all I'm speaking about is developed countries at the moment, is increasing wealth. Mm-hmm. Then you have huge use in emerging market countries mm-hmm. where you have a huge number of unbanked people or mm-hmm. a huge number of people living in countries where you have a lot of corruptions, where you don't really have payment system, where central banks are uh, not doing their job, where blockchain and crypto becomes a, gives you the infrastructure for payment system, give you the infrastructure for wealth preservation because your mm-hmm. currencies are just devaluating in look what's going on in Afghanistan. Look what's going on in Lebanon. These are use cases that us in the West, we don't really think about. But there are huge cases, use cases for blockchain and crypto in, mm-hmm. in emerging market that are different from those that we have in the developed. That is very like interesting to hear. So when we talk about uh, regulation, there is this argument where it says that regulation basically ends up adding breaks, checks and balances to how much I can do. If I, as a middle-class person, like there would be a check and a balance once Bitcoin is regulated, is the concern that a lot of these people come up with because of these protections come at a cost. Those people who got into Bitcoin when it was a few dollars or even a few cents, and they could leverage the benefits of the Bitcoin going to 50,000, 100,000, whatever. But once when it is regulated, that exponential growth is gone. The middle class or the people who did not have access to the kind of capital that you need, now their only weapon has been taken away because people said regulation is uh, good for you. What do you tell these people for whom the risk outweighs the gains? or like the risk outweighs the losses that you might take. A very common saying you would find on Wall Street bets is, I'm either going to become a millionaire or I'm going to apply at Wendy's. They don't want that middle path. What do you have to say to these people? There's a difference between regulation and taxation, okay? Mm -hmm. Regulation is here for transparency, for investor protection, and for market integrity very important and we mm-hmm. need that. whether we self-regulate or whether we we collaborate with government and regulators to regulate we need that mm-hmm. now taxation that's a diff- different story and then i have my own opinion on taxation where i fully agree with you 
And as I said, it's the middle class and upper middle class that is the most hit by tax. Mm-hmm. In my view, it shouldn't be like that. In my view, they should be paying the lowest amount of taxes because in a world where we've already lost so much wealth as millennials, you cannot ask me to keep... Excuse me a second, please. This is incredible. Like, they... Give me a second and, and yeah. I'll be back. So, yeah, you were saying? Um, what were we saying? So you were telling me about the difference between regulation and oh, taxation. Yeah. Yes, yes. So, yes, with, with regards to taxation, I am with an overhaul of the taxation system. And keep in mind, there's big differences between different countries, whether you're in the developed world or whether you're in the uh, emerging market world. But we should not tax gains on capital for people who make below a certain amount or who have wealth below a certain amount as high as they're proposing to do it. Mm-hmm. And, but this is where you have opportunities, right? Look what happened in Portugal. So Portugal, you pay 0% tax on capital gains. Mm-hmm. And Portugal is a small country in Europe that has suffered from the European uh, crisis. Basically, it allowed, it allowed them to have an influx of crypto enthusiasts and crypto traders because they know they're not going to be paying taxes on on capital gains. So Mm -hmm. here you have opportunities, smart countries. I know big countries, they are in debt. And you see the debt level of the US or the debt level of Europe. So they need, wherever they can take cash, they need to take it. So conversation there is going to be very complicated. Mm -hmm. But this gives opportunities to smaller countries or even emerging market countries to actually go, you know what? I want to. I want to bring crypto into my world. Look at what Salvador has done. It for me, it's a marketing reason, and it's a genius right. reason, right? Genius marketing reason. It put El Salvador on the radar, and a lot of miners now want to go to to Salvador. A lot of crypto enthusiasts are talking about Salvador. Right. Good for them. And so you can have all of these countries, actually smaller countries, deciding that you know what, zero percent on capital gain tax, and they they should do that, in my view. Mm. So. Is it not because these smaller nations are like the smaller people or the little man, if I were to use the analogy, because they have nothing to lose, they have the appetite for risks. Like El Salvador about it more than I do. Like they have all of these sanctions. They cannot get access to credit from the World Bank or whatnot. Bitcoin is their only alternative because it lets them have access to capital plus inflow of tourists or whatever is always going to create wealth. So a bigger nation cannot do that. Be very careful. Be very careful about this. And let's be very careful about this. Putting Bitcoin, having Bitcoin as a legal currency can have very damaging effect Mm. on the economy, right? It can have very damaging effect on what we call credit risk. Mm -hmm. So uh, how high is the the interest rate that you're paying on your debt? Because Bitcoin is so volatile. So there are a lot of risks that, for example, El Salvador didn't think about. And that you can envision and you you can see in credit markets, the spread on the bonds of El Salvador just spiked up after the announcement because it puts on quite quite an important risk. Mm -hmm. Now, is there a way to go to, 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 to bypass it? Maybe creating a BTC bond, a bond issued in BTCs that we see. And then if you turn your whole, the only way for this to work is that you're turning your whole economy 
to BTC. And mm-hmm. you are an independent country where you don't really have imported uh, exports, right? Because if you're going to import and BTC plunges, it means that your currency has devalued massively and mm-hmm. that basically will be very hard for you to import, right? Mm. There's a lot lot of points that people have not really thought about in in details that they should. It becomes so interesting to talk to you about economics. I guess this entire podcast became became a lesson in economics. I have one final thing about this before I move to the other stuff. Take the case of Zimbabwe, which had their runaway inflation and they started, they even used the Indian rupee as one of their currencies. They had six, the US dollar. So that was how fiat helped a nation take care of their problem. Although I wouldn't say take care, but whatever. People were able to to exchange value backed by the dollar. And then you take the case of a country like El Salvador, which instead of going the dollar route or a country like Venezuela, which are trying to use the uh, Bitcoin as a standard for exchanging value. What could be the differences between these two types of countries in terms of the outcomes that you as an economist can foresee? Very different, right? The dollar is the currency of the world. We right. talk in dollars. Everything is priced in dollars. Right. The euro was supposed to uh, balance the dollar, but uh, Europe failed, and right. the euro is now balancing the dollar. Now you have uh, the yuan, the Chinese yuan, that is trying to take uh, to take this position, but they're still f- uh, far from there. So the right. US, USD is the currency of the world. If you have right. USD, you can buy anything that you want, and the currency is stable. Like the US, right. US dollar doesn't move twenty percent ever. Right. Doesn't move twenty percent. Right. Right. If it does, countries are down. <laughs> So it's stability and stability is very important in accounting because when you budget, it's very simple. When you budget, you need to know how much money you have. And the USD allows you to do that. But the problem with dollarization, so basically backing your currency by the dollar, Mm -hmm. is that it comes with it comes with political handcuffs. Right. you you have no control about your monetary policy because your monetary policy is the monetary policy of the Fed. But then the Fed monetary policy is not necessarily, it's not necessarily, is not it's built not. for emerging markets, right. right? It is built for a high growth, rich, developed country. Right. Uh, and then add to this also political sensitivities. So if you're using the dollar, basically you're under the control of the US government in terms of where you're spending, in terms of FATCA. So countries like Venezuela and El Salvador, so Venezuela is anti-American, right? right. They have different versions. So they're anti-West, anti-American. The Venezuelan president, the Venezuelan, the El Salvadorian president, a little bit as well. So he, he had enough right. of, of American control. And this is why also for him, he wanted, he can't go to Euro. Mm-hmm. He can't go to Yuan yet. But he's going to he's going to Bitcoin as mm-hmm. a, a I would say a breathe of fresh air in the economy. <laughs> but it could be a sword with double edges. Right. Gotcha. And with that, no more questions on economics. Let's move to the other thing. What is it that you guys are trying to do with Alliance Block? The initial idea was to build a decentralized participative and sustainable investment bank. Mm -hmm. And then the idea grew to become uh, building the future of capital markets and the future Mm -hmm. of finance. And how we look at that, so we look at that threefold. So we have three main blocks. 
we have a regulation block that includes uh, cross-border regulatory compliance protocols and what we call trustless KYC AML. Mm -hmm. And then we have a data block that includes what we call the Oracle of Oracles with mm -hmm. the, the data API and then the data tunnel. And then we have a DeFi terminal, which is basically the investment part of the business where you will have a lending, where you will have borrowing. And we have also an exchange that is coming in in Q4 of, uh, of this year. And I would advise everyone to take a look at our exchange because uh, there's a lot of work that has gone through to decrease what we call impermanent loss which is one of the main problems that you have in uh, decentralized exchanges at the mm -hmm. moment. I'm sure, I'm sure your, your listeners, your viewers are aware of the loss of capital that could occur due to impermanent loss in, in, in liquidity pools. I so want to ask you to explain impermanent loss because I read somewhere it said impermanent loss happens both ways. Whether your token goes up or your or the value goes down, you would have impermanent loss. But as I said, I wouldn't get you on for an economics lecture unless you want to give that oh what i want to ask you like first would you like want to explain impermanent loss to us well you should look at impermanent loss as basically a mark to market of a negatively convex asset and i think the easiest way to look at it is you're putting in mm -hmm. yeah if th this pair has volatility the mm -hmm. more volatile the pair is so let's say you have uh, ETH and ALBT, right? Mm -hmm. right. ALBT is Alliance Block Token. Mm. So ALBT rallies versus ETH, the number of ALBT that you will have in the pool under your name is going to decrease. And that means that you're missed on the rally of ALBT because right. it looks at a constant value. Right. So let's say you put in, uh, and I'm very much simplifying here. Let's say you put in $10,000. These $10,000 will need to stay $10,000. Mm -hmm. And they become $15,000. They will need to sell something to bring it down to $10,000. Mm -hmm. Simplifying very much here. So that's right. the easy way to, to think about it. So the more volatile the pair are, the more money you will lose. Or the, mm. the, you won't lose money. You will basically miss on growth, miss gotcha. on opportunity. Because in the end, you will receive a, a constant sum of what you put in initially. But mm, because right. it's dollar, because you see, the whole world is based on dollar. So even if you receive constant, but if the dollar value has changed, then the final amount that you receive will be smaller. Oh, That's again oh. proof that everything works with dollars, dollar in, the, in this world. <laughs> so true. Speaking of working, you have this team, Alliance Block, and you guys are based pretty much all across Europe, probably some parts of like Asia as well, or the like Americas. And the thing that you guys are working on is fairly very advanced. Like I use fairly in a very cavalierly manner. I guess only a hundred people work, but understand what you guys are doing. So in this decentralized world, in this work from home office culture how do you guys manage to communicate because everybody is what are like some of the ways that you guys have found to be helpful for your business so there are there are different teams right and as you can see there's different part of the business and each block can be a company by itself mm. uh, we have 
so the teams that work together are very close to each other mm. uh, team that work cross then these communicate in you know through zoom or through through zoom mainly but we have offices in the netherlands where there's quite a big number of developers there and we have offices in switzerland where also there's a big part of management management and executives are also based there and then we organize uh, we organize event where we basically bring the whole team together so everyone can meet uh, each other unfortunately due to covid we couldn't implement it as much as we wanted because uh, we wanted to implement that quite frequently but hopefully the world is going to open and then we will be able to implement our our team getaways got it got it speaking of the albt token so a lot of the people holding it might not exactly know what does that token do is the audience for your token the general people like myself or is it going to be the institutions or is it going to be a healthy mix of both so there's different types of tokens and i will not go through this at the moment because it will you know it's, it will be for a later stage right. but basically the token is the blood of the of the ecosystem right mm. so you need the token to be able to interact with every component of the system so we have launched a multi-chain bridge bridging for evm uh, blockchains and is going to be bridging non-evm blockchains soon mm-hmm. uh, and you use the token to be able to to pay for costs same thing on the exchange you will be paying with the tokens on what we call funder which is the investment platform where you have the rating of the investors that i was mentioning earlier on you will also use the token and there are multiple cases of use and keep in mind that it's very important for us for the token to be deflationary so mm-hmm. as the prog- as we see progress in development because as you can see as i said each part can be accompanied by itself but in right. the end it all it all comes together so the mm-hmm. ecosystem is being built now and at a certain point it will close and you will have all of the use cases that will need the use of gotcha and now i want to get to the final bits of this interview so you worked in stem right the general consensus is women are not interested in stem and you were like no i am i'll do that i'll be there you did that for a while like i say for a while but you were a phd candidate that's a huge jump then you talk about investment banking mostly bros the pejorative term is cocaine bros and again an environment not that you would that most women would be interested in you were like i am i'll be that too then comes cryptocurrency again dominated by bros and you were like i'll be that too what have been some of your experiences dealing with the most colorful of the men that the world has to offer i use that very manner that people can understand it's it's interesting because so for me when i started in finance it was quite diff- it was quite difficult to understand what was expected of a successful trader in terms of you're going to laugh but in terms of looks in terms of voice in terms of behavior right i was educated i have two brothers i was educated like a tomboy quite loud being mediterranean it's not a it's not a very good thing and i remember that was right after my first year right after my first year and i started comparing behaviors of the women at the time I was a junior that were all mgs they have a behavior that was very different to mine so i was like 
I will definitely not be seen as uh, valuable as they are because management is mostly men, made of men, not mm-hmm. fully, but mostly made of men. And so I had to work on myself to change my behavior, to change, stop wearing colors. I, I used to love wearing colors and then I stopped. <laughs> I was wearing dark colors all the time. So it is important. I always say to women, and I mentor quite a few women, and I always tell them it is great that you have two choices. Either you say, I'm going to go the way I am and F the system, whatever happened, it is me, this is who I am, etc. Or you need to modulate and you need to adapt to the environment you're in. If you adapt to the environment you're in, it's very simple, you'll be successful. If you don't adapt, you will fail. That's how, unfortunately, that's how the world is. So that is my advice to all women, if there are women listening to us. We're still not at the stage where there is enough women in a high level of management where we can be who we are in some way. You see what I mean? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's the same thing in tech. But in tech, it's even, I would say, it's even slightly more aggressive than, than finance. Because if you look at the data in the UK, 12.5% of the pool of developers is women, mm-hmm. only 12.5%. So you're already starting with a very small pool, mm-hmm. okay? And the culture, the, the bro culture, as you were mentioning, is even more present. But the great thing I would say about blockchain, that you would be surprised, for example, in India, I think it's more than half of investors are females in crypto. Mm-hmm. Yeah. At Binance, I think 50% uh, of employees are uh, women. Uh, and I think 40% of women in the U.S. are interested in investing in cryptocurrencies. Mm-hmm. So we have seen a boom of women taking control of their finances. And that's an interesting point because in financial independence in women is a new concept. Mm-hmm. In some countries, it was until the 70s that they could have a bank account. In the U.S., I don't know the date exactly, but in the 50s, they didn't have a bank account. It was the bank account of their husband. They Mm -hmm. couldn't take a loan without their husband signing. Independence is new. It's only our mothers that have experienced financial independence. Our grandmothers were not financially independent. Mm -hmm. So the... I would say the relationship of women and money is different from the relationship of men and money because men make money. Women consume money in some way. So we're learning to to make money. It's 4.30 p.m. in the afternoon on on a Friday. We're allowed to make some jokes, right? Right, right. Definitely. I am all for jokes. Like I just wanted to like let you know that you can let your hair down. Speak whatever comes to your mind. Yeah, we're we're speaking with with, uh, open minds and and open heart. But it's true in the end. It is true. We spend money. We're very good at budgeting. And I'm not, not saying it as a joke. Women are very good at budgeting because who manages the budget of the house? It's My the wife has, yeah. Here you go. It's your wife. So your yeah. wife knows all the numbers. You just give her an amount and she's the one that is budgeting this amount. So you will be surprised also that women are much better at investing than men. because. Agreed. Agreed. We are very good at budgeting and we are very good at, at risk management. But this is new. See, our daughters are, are going to have, are going to be brought up in an environment where there's not this unconscious bias about it's the men that makes the money and it's the women that spend it. Right. You're in an environment where it's both men and women that are making and, and spending money. But I have very good, um, very good uh, vision for what's going on in blockchain. And I think there, I think I see it. There's more and more women coming into the field, mm-hmm. and it is needed. 
uh, it is needed. We shouldn't be left behind. And I would say it is very needed in emerging market countries because blockchain development is a job that allows you to work from your laptop at home. Mm-hmm. And if you're in a country where there are wars, if you're in a country where there are some political, political, how do you say, constraint, political constraints on women, you can just stay home, make money, be in front of your, be in front of your laptop. So mm-hmm. I encourage women to learn to code. I encourage anyone who has a daughter or a sister or a niece or a cousin or a friend to get them into coding school at a young age. And I mm. encourage women to start looking into crypto and start learning how to trade because wealth generation is very important. That is very interesting. And that answers a part of my question. You have seen a lot of these women symposiums. Again, I am not an expert on any of these stuff just for women, organizations just for women, women in management, women in product, women in tech. Do you believe, like you personally, that women of your stature have a responsibility to help the little girl or is it like why should i no of course and but because you're talking about it we i, I have founded uh, with a friend what we call the 200 billion club which mm. is an accelerator that is focused on training women entrepreneur to become vc investables and we have 28 partners, 28 VC partners on our investor on our investor committee. So giving back to the community is something that is very important. I'm also on the board of Biba, which teaches girls uh, how to code. Mm-hmm. And I, once you get to a certain level, you need to get to give back to the community because imagine that it was you. I would have loved to have had that. When we started Alliance Rock, I would have loved to have uh, women-focused accelerators or women-focused mm-hmm. funds. It's only by unity that we can increase the number or the representation of women in in, in these businesses. Mm-hmm. Women and men, like b- between you and I, especially in emerging market, when I say daughters, I mean your kids, yes? Women and yes. men need to push the kids into this space, especially when you think about how automation is going to change the world. A lot of jobs are going to be lost. Mm-hmm. New jobs, you start you start your life basically with, with a plus one. Mm-hmm. If you, even if you don't want to be a coder in the end. But you start with a plus one. Why take this plus one away from your kids? Just right. them, let them learn. They like it, they like it, they don't like it. You know how they say in emerging market, they're forced to study. (laughs) Right. Study, get a degree, and then follow your passion. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) I agree with this 100%. Right. So the reason why I ask that is I at least speak on like myself. As a man, I have never felt the need to pull up the little man just because he's a man. Maybe that makes men antisocial and women more social. I don't know the sociology behind that but that is a very nice gesture which i see happening over and over again across cultures is that what you would call a woman thing is that because you feel that you have crossed certain glass ceilings you need to help others navigate or is it more of a tribalistic thing that it is a man's world and we need to take care of ourselves i think the representation in jobs should be in, in, not in all jobs, but like I say in in tech or in finance or in certain industries, the representation should mimic the representation of uh, the population. If you have 51% of women in the world, 
And okay, I admit some of them are not interested in jobs in finance or jobs in tech. No problem in there. Same, some men also are not interested in there. But if you have 51% of women in the world and 49% of men, you should find at least something comparable mm-hmm. in, in, uh, in various industries. Okay. Now mm-hmm. I can understand that in I don't know, industries that are more typically male-oriented. I don't agree, not mechanical engineering. I would say like more like building where you need body strength that most women, not all, but most women don't have. It makes sense to have a representation that is different. And in a way, it also makes sense to have more nurses that are female than men because it's caring is something that is inherently maternal and inherently female. But the, the, the disproportion is too large. When mm-hmm. you have executive board, 20% of women only, how can you get your voice up there? How right. can you change the how can you change the, the workspace to be more inclusive? And I'm not talking only about women, I'm talking about enterprises that represent their society. So mm-hmm. you live in India. So slightly different. So for example, we live in the UK. You have people uh, from Africa. You have people uh, from South Asian descent. You have people from Middle Eastern descent. It is important for these people to be given access and opportunities that are similar to mm-hmm. the Caucasian people. Mm-hmm. And a lot of governments have been working on this, having diversity programs and mm-hmm. people. Because what you don't want, which is what you highlighted, is tribalism. The issue with poverty is that the poorer you are, the more tribal you are. Let's take right. See? So if you want peace in your society, as a government, if you want to be in a peaceful society, especially when you have minorities, you need to make sure that you're lifting these minorities from poverty by giving them access to education, but also access to high-rewarding, high-paying job because you want to create a middle class and upper middle class coming from these minorities. Because Mm -hmm. if you don't, you're going to have social problem and you're going to have, we've seen what happened in France, I think right before the, right before COVID started, where you have the minorities in France going and burning Paris. So people should be wary about that and should think about that. And yeah, you should tell government, it's not about humanity. If they don't want to think about it from a humanism point of view, think about it as a national security point of view. So you need to lift up uh, these people and you need to offer uh, equal opportunities to everyone. Most definitely. And I learned that quite recently. Like there is a need for role models and there is a need. It's a work in progress, getting the equations in order. It took uh, somebody to reach the moon before people or at least little boys growing up wanted to be an astronaut. If there are not going to be women astronauts, they would not dream of that because they would start to think, okay, why should I need that? And I learned that while I was watching watching this new Ghostbusters movie. Came out in 2016, all female cast. I was like, my childhood is ruined. But I sat down with my wife. I watched it. She enjoyed it immensely. And that's when I realized that maybe there is a need for role models for all like people. It doesn't have to be gender. It has to be all people. As you like very rightly pointed out. Yeah, look how we were taught. Remember the cartoons when we were kids? One of the cartoons were with women. All the women were princesses that needed a prince to come and (laughs) say, in our subconscious, it just create this bias that we need to be saved. We we cannot do it. We just need to be pretty and smile and the prince charming will will come and save us. (laughs) 
And it's interesting how you see the progression of cartoons. So in today, you have, uh, I remember Brave, where mm. it was Little Fighter Girl and Mulan. And you have like more and more cartoons where women are taking active role and actually can fend for themselves. Thank God. Thank God. <laughs> But sometimes the men need saving too and we would need women all the time for that. So yeah. <laughs> With that, I'd like to call it a wrap on today's episode it was quite interesting i enjoyed it a lot if you have any closing words for the hacker and audience we would like love to hear from you now. well i mean thank you for a very interesting conversation i didn't expect the interview to go to go in this direction at all that was a, a big surprise uh, as i said it's a comforting afternoon friday afternoon and uh, i hope you all enjoyed having a cup of coffee or a cup of tea with me i would ask you to follow alliance block on twitter follow alliance block on uh, telegram and you will have many surprises in uh, q4 2021 and with that Best wishes from the Hacker Noon team to the entire Alliance Clock team and especially to you, Amber. Have a nice day and take care. Thank you so much. Hacker Noon Podcast.